This morning we are in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. So if you'd open your Bibles there. I'm going to read all those verses and then have a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000 miraculously. Verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Let me pray. Lord, we pray that you bless all of our sisters up in Lake Tahoe right now. Bless them as they're gathering together too, Lord, to hear your word, to worship you. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us well today about how to trust you and about how to understand how you work in our lives and about what our lives ought to look like and can look like. Father, I pray your blessings on our time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today, the the message is kind of divided into two sections. The title of the message is, When God Seems Far Away. The first part is, When Jesus Was Off Praying. We're going to talk about prayer. The second part was, When Jesus Seemed Far Away, When He Was Off Praying. And so these two things tie together. So, verses 45 and 46, let me read them again. Jesus, the setting is, He feeds the 5,000 people. It's a miraculous thing. Jesus and the disciples had gone to the east, northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, trying to get a break from the crowds. When they arrived there, the people had run around from the, here's the Sea of Galilee like this, they had run around from the northwest side to the northeast side. Jesus and his guys come over here, there's this huge crowd. So he begins to teach them and all that. The disciples notice, hey, Jesus, the, you know, the day is passing by here, it's getting late, they don't have food, we should send them home, we should do something. Jesus said, well, what do you have? Five loaves, two fish. Jesus prayed and, and blessed and multiplied the food. Uh, distributed it to the 5,000 people, and and it was an amazing creative miracle. But keep in mind that Jesus is still tired, and the disciples are still tired. They had gone there to get away from the crowds for a little bit. If you're in the people business, you know how exhausting people can be. (laughs) You know, I mean, if you have physical labor job, you're, you know, working, shoveling, digging, whatever physically tiring. Uh, when I used to be a landscaper, a gardener, I, you know, I loved it because um, it was physically tiring, but I didn't have to think about anything. I could push the lawnmower, I could you know, do this, I could do... It was wonderful, mindless work. And so I came home physically tired, but my, in my mind I was still fresh because I hadn't had to really think about much. And, and it just only what I wanted to deal with. But when you're dealing with people, it might not be physically tired, but it's emotionally tired, tiring. It's mentally, spiritually tiring. And so Jesus and the disciples, they're tired, you know. 
And they were trying to get away from the people and they go around the, the lake and, and there's you know, 5,000 plus people. So, but Jesus had compassion on them. He does this miracle. He feeds them. But guys, he's still tired. And so are the disciples. They're all still tired. So Jesus was very deliberate here about getting away to pray. Verse 45, once again, he made his disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. When he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. I want us to notice some things about the prayer life of Jesus and and hopefully we can learn some things for ourselves if you're a follower of Jesus. He was very deliberate about getting away from the people. One of the things about prayer is interruptions. The other thing is my short attention span. I can kind of work with this, and I have to try to work with mitigating interruptions in my life when I'm trying to have a time of prayer. There was something going on that was a dangerous situation. Look at your notes there. We are told in a parallel passage in John chapter 6, this is the same story but with a little bit additional information. Jesus feeds the 5,000, and it says, Then those men who, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So the people were very, very excited because they essentially got a free lunch. They saw the miracle and they were impressed by the miracle too. Later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus is going to confront him. He said, the thing you're really interested in is that I blessed you with physical provision. But they wanted to take him, come and force him to be king, to take him down to Jerusalem, to kind of dethrone the Roman government, that whole thing. And Jesus knew it wasn't time for that. His time had not yet come. But he sees this kind of groundswell thing going on. He sees this, the, you know, the, the, the mob mentality. And you'd think, you know, it's kind of great when the mob mentality is for you. But Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to be manipulated into something. I'm not going to be forced into this thing. And I also, I, I believe, he's also thinking, I don't want my disciples to get caught up in this. If, you know, if the guy that you're following suddenly has the support of 5,000 plus people, that can be pretty kind of uplifting to your own psyche. You know? We knew we were right to follow him. They want to come and make him king. You know, that, so I think Jesus is saying, no, guys, you get out of here and you people, thank you very much. You guys go. I need to go pray. So he's kind of uh, you know, ending the situation. He's kind of pouring water on this possible fire that's kind of starting to kindle. He knew they were excited. He sends his disciples away so they're not swept up by messianic enthusiasm. I believe that's what's happening here. Now, it's very interesting. Little, you know, words matter, don't they? It says in verse 45, immediately he made his disciples to get into the boat. He didn't invite them to get into the boat. He made them to get into the boat. And then it says also after that, and then he sent them away. And that, that word, he made them, that little phrase caught my attention. I looked it up. Uh, the New Testament, of course, written in Greek, translated into English. But sometimes when we go back to the Greek, we find some really interesting emphasis. He made them. It, it means that he constrained them and he forced them. He forced them to go, which tells me, and I'm reading between the lines admittedly a little bit, but I think it's reasonable, if he had to force them to go, it means they didn't want to go. Who wants to leave? You just fed 5,000 people. You did this amazing miracle. They want to make you king. That must be something good for us. You know, hey, we're with you, so what what do we get out of the deal? They wanted to hang around. But Jesus says, no, you have to go. 
and, and there, was some, there must have been at least a, an expression on their face or some kind of verbal pushback or something. They didn't want to go. And he says, no, I'm making you go. Get out of here. You need to leave. Go to the other side of the lake. Now, I also like that Jesus is going to depart from them, but he's not, he, he, doesn't, he didn't just say, miracles done, uh, multitudes, uh, go home, and you disciples, do whatever you want. He didn't do that. He didn't leave them hanging. He kind of gave them a little bit of an assignment. He, he kind of gave them some direction. He gave them a purpose. Multitude, go home. Disciples, go to the other side of the lake. Uh, I'm going to go pray. So what I'm getting out of this so far is this, that when it's time for us to pray, sometimes we just need to let some other people go. And I think probably it's particularly difficult for moms with young kids. <laughs> Here, Johnny, here's the Legos. I bought the $10,000 set. Keep yourself occupied for a few minutes or something. You know. Hard, because kids will interrupt. It, it, might, it might mean that moms have to get up early. My wife is amazing. I'll brag on her seven days a week, eight days a week. <laughs> she just gets up early, she prays, she reads her Bible. Our whole marriage, she's been that way. The kids are little, fine, she'll get up before the kids get up. If we're going to be people of prayer, we have to be very deliberate about it. And we have to get away from people. And maybe a mom or something middle of the day needs a, a little break, a 15-minute break, so she'll find something to keep the kids occupied and keep them busy and, and make sure they're safe and everything so that she can get away. I like that Jesus didn't just say, you're on your own. He gave them kind of something to do, put them in a direction, said, you're going to go over this way. But he had to force them to go because he was deliberate about prayer. I just like that deliberate nature about Jesus regarding prayer. And I think it's something that we do well to adopt into our own lives, to be very, very deliberate. I have to get away from some people. You know, I have a, I have a smartphone, I have an iPhone. Um, I, I'm terrible, my mind just wa- What was I saying? Oh, yeah, I'm teasing. Um, that was a joke. Um, my mind just wanders like crazy. And I've gotten into the habit recently, I have an alarm and uh, a stopwatch. And I set it for whatever time, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and I know it's going to go off in 30 minutes, and I set it down, it's like, I'm not going to look at that thing. Not going to answer the phone. The dog barks, I'm not going to go to the door. You know, just nothing. We have to be deliberate about praying, and Jesus was very deliberate about praying. And he made them go away. And he didn't think, you know, maybe I'll just, you know, as they go in the boat, I'll walk along the shore and make sure they're okay. He kind of just released them. Go. And, he, and he, he blessed the multitude and he fed the multitude, but then he just said, go home. He didn't feel the need, and I'm sure a lot of people, I mean, you feed 5,000 people miraculously, some of them are going to want to stay and chat. You know? But he didn't feel, it's like, no, I've done what I needed to do, now I have something else that I have to do. And I think it's really easy for us, if you're a follower of Jesus, to be moved by people's needs or by people's wants or perceived needs. People think they need you to do this or they need you to do that or whatever the case may be. But Jesus, Jesus is able to walk in the Spirit, guys. And I think if you're a Christian, it's something you really need to learn how to do. When the Spirit of God comes and kind of taps you on the shoulder and says, drop what you're doing now and go pray. Uh, s- slowly over the years, I've been learning to just actually trust that God is telling me to drop what I'm doing and go pray because he knows that I need to. Because I don't know what's coming later that day or tomorrow or the next day or next week, but God wants to, to have my heart ready and he wants me, to have in close, wants to have me in close communion with him. 
So I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Prayer cannot be an afterthought. Times of prayer cannot be, if I get everything else done, you'll never get everything else done. My, my yard will never be weed-free in my whole life. My fence will never be perfectly uh, painted and stained. You, you guys know what I'm saying. It'll never get done. People, and people's situations will never get done. There's people that always need you to help them. or some, There's no end to it. But, but Jesus just said, okay, time out from everything, I'm going to go pray. And he was very deliberate about it. And I think he sets an example for us. So I just want you guys to notice that. And, and even so much so that he had to tell his closest companions, you cannot stay with me right now. You, you have to get out of here. They're probably still tired, emotionally exhausted. They want to be with him. He says, you know what, you can't. I wonder even, guys, if, if you know, with friends and things and uh, you get an, an invitation to, to go do something or you know, be with some friends and, and, and maybe you know, pe- people just love having you around or something and, 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 and you might even say, you know, uh, this morning, I just really feel like this morning I can't have coffee with you. I just need to stay home and read a good Christian book or read my Bible. I just need to think about some things. I need to pray. Well, I thought you were my friend. You know, that kind of thing can happen to us, right? Amen? You guys, right? Just say, you know, I am your friend, but, but I follow Christ. And I think he wants me to just take a break this morning and go pray. And so Jesus, amazing, very, very deliberate. Look at your notes here. Uh, Roman numeral number one, letter A, number three. He sent the multitude away. He didn't continue to minister to them. He didn't skip prayer to make sure they got home okay. He didn't skip prayer to keep talking to them. He met their need for food, blessed them, then released them and left. He didn't feel the need to hang around with them or be overly friendly with them. Undoubtedly, somebody could have said, well, he fed us, but gosh, he didn't even stick around and talk. Sorry to disappoint you, you know, (laughs) People can just say the little things. You guys understand, right? People can say or a, a little thing or the, a, 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 an expression on the face and you kind of, oh, I guess I should probably stay. No. Be, be people that are led by God's spirit more than by people's suggestions or facial expressions or tone of voice. Be people that are led by the spirit. And, and, and it, admittedly, it's an acquired skill. It's very much an acquired skill. But notice, Jesus did the right thing here. Look at, look at the quote here, John 8, 29. Jesus said, regarding his relationship with the Father, I always do those things that please him. So Jesus was right on target right now. He feeds the people, and that was totally pleasing to the Father. Then he has a sense of, oops, they want to make me king. I have to break this thing up. You 12, get in the boat and go over there. But we don't want to. We're not voting. <laughs> Get in the boat and go over there. Well, can we linger and talk to you, Jesus? Thanks for the lunch, but can we linger and talk? No, we can't linger and talk. You guys go ahead and go home. You know, God bless you, and I have to go pray. But, but, no, I have to go pray. And we could even be perceived perhaps as unfriendly or selfish with our time or whatever, but Jesus always did those things that pleased the Father. I want to encourage you guys to be very deliberate about praying. Get alone. Put your phone on silent. Put, I mean, it's, it's just easier than ever, isn't it? I just, I'll put a challenge out there. 15 minutes a day. Force yourself to be still for 15 minutes a day. 
then 20, then 25, then 30, then longer or, or whatever, you know. Set, set your alarm, set it down, and start, and, and my mind wanders and I think about this, oops, sorry, Lord, and I try to get back on it again. It's a, it's a, it's a developed, acquired uh, practice and we have to be very deliberate about it, but we see Jesus doing that. So we do well to follow in his footsteps. Verse 46, he was deliberate about getting away from people, deliberate about getting alone. Um, I've kind of already talked through all of that. Uh, reasons to pray. Look down at uh, letter, number, letter B, number 5, Luke chapter 18. There's a quote there. Jesus spoke a, par- a parable to the people that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. You might say, well, why, why, why the need for prayer? Because it keeps us from losing heart. And that little phrase means to be spiritless, to be wearied out, to be exhausted. And we're not talking physically, we're talking soul, soulishly. You get tired in your soul. You get discouraged. Uh, read, a, read a little a post from a, a, a pastor friend online on Facebook yesterday. He's been pastoring in the same place, I think, 12 years or 15 years, and he just kind of confessed to the world the World Wide Web, he just confessed. He goes, you know, I've been pastoring and this and that, and I know I'm supposed to be a pastor, but sometimes I get discouraged and it doesn't feel like it, I'm making any difference. And that, that can happen to any, any one of us. If you have children, it can certainly happen. You, it's like, are they listening? Are they going to turn out okay? Or friends or even ourselves? It's easy to be discouraged. So what's one reason for you guys to be very deliberate about praying and getting alone with people? It's so that you are not wearied out and exhausted in your soul. We, re- we pray because we need to be refreshed and strengthened. And then secondly, look at the quote from James 5.16. James tells us, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let me read it again. Effective and fervent. Fervent has the idea of boiling water. We, we expend a lot of energy in worrying about people, our loved ones. I have friends and loved ones, you know, and family that I worry about. You do too. We worry about ourselves, we worry about our future and all these things. We put out a lot of energy just reacting. Instead, we should put out a lot of energy in responding. I just chatted with a friend recently. Let me get a sip of water here. Chatted with a friend recently and he used that phrase, well, you can either react or you can respond. And I thought, well, aren't they the same thing? And he says, no, no, no. Reacting is something that, is something that you do without even thinking. It's like pulling your hand off the hot stove. That's just a reaction. You don't have to think about it. Responding is more of thinking it through and then doing something appropriate to the situation. So sometimes, you know, let's say you have a a loved one and their life is kind of spiraling down. Your natural reaction is to get worried, get a stomach ache, start fretting, um, making too many phone calls, making too many suggestions, you know, trying to be a rescuer, all those things. Those are just reactions. And they're they're well-intentioned reactions, you know, admittedly. They're well-intentioned reactions. I don't have to, you know, if if one of my adult children or my grandkids... Uh, gets hurt or something, I don't have to think about wanting to help them. It's just a reaction. But responding is, what's the best thing to do? 
You slow down. You slow yourself down a little bit. You pray. You think. You pray about the situation. And you just don't react. You respond. You guys see the difference there? And how much better it is for me to respond according to the leading of God's Spirit. And the first thing that I need to do is to pray. Why? James tells us, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Dear people, reacting isn't enough for us. We need to respond. Reacting is just visceral. Response is, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I'm, I'm parsing the words a little bit, but you guys, there is a difference there, isn't there? You guys see that? Yes or no? It, there's a difference there. And if I really care, and of course I do, but if, I guess if I'm really wise, I'm going to pray. We used to sing a song years ago. Boy, I can't remember the lyric that I'm going to try to quote now. Um, it was a Phil Wickham song. Sounds like, looks like. The line was, your love has no bounds. Oh yeah, Jesus, your love has no bounds. Remember that song? Jesus, your love has no bounds. I think about people that I'm thinking about. I'm in church. I sing that lyric and I think, I'm here, they're there, I'm doing okay today, they're not doing okay, your love has no bounds. Get them. Get them, Lord. Meet them. Interrupt their day. Remind them about how much you love them. And it just moves me to start praying for the situation so that when I run into them, I don't have to be all reactionary and hovering over them and trying to fix them and trying to change the situation and manipulate things, but I can respond in prayer and God goes before me. So if I see him, I'm responding correctly, not just reacting. How do I get to that place where I'm properly helping people? By being deliberate in prayer. By getting away. By turning the phone off. By being quiet. By, by modeling what Jesus did. You guys with me? Amen? That's what we need to do. Good intentions are not enough. Good intentions can do damage. Good intentions can, can be overreaction that, that alienate people. So, reasons to pray. Number one, Jesus was very deliberate about getting away from people and even if he had to tell them, no, go away. I, I need this time. Secondly, he was also very deliberate about being alone and the application for us is we need to do the same for our own hearts and for the lives of others. The second part of this little message here is a time when Jesus seemed far away. Let me read verses 47 to 52 again. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land and when he saw them straining at rowing, notice the verbs. When you read the Bible, notice the verbs. They're, they're the action words. They kind of give you a mental picture, a mental image of what's going on. He saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the water would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking on the water, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And he went up into the boat and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. See all the superlatives there? A lot of of descriptive words, over-the-top descriptions. And all of this happened and and we are told they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hard. 
First thing I want to notice is this. Verses 47 and 48. Jesus tells them, tells them to get into the boat. So they get into the boat. They're obedient. I'll call it reluctant obedience. But they are obedient. They, they finally, it's like, well, we don't want to argue with the master. We'll get into the boat. What did, what did, what did, what did obeying the Lord get them? Obeying the Lord got them in trouble. <laughs> obeying the Lord brought a hardship to them. So this is, you know, we want to be people that obey Jesus, right? Amen? And sometimes we do, and things get immediately worse. And it's just very, very interesting to me that the Lord allows that to happen, maybe even orchestrates it for our good and for his glory. Guys, God, God wants to be glorified. God wants to be lifted up in our minds and in our hearts. He wants us to be amazed at him. And I think sometimes in order for us to be amazed at him, he'll send us out into a storm. So it's very interesting to me, their obedience, their reluctant obedience, number one, caused physical separation. Turn your page over if you would, if you haven't done it yet. Verse 47, And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. And I just, I just love the picture there. I love that the Holy Spirit has uh, crafted every word. They're not like closer to one side than they are to the other. They're like right in the middle. So here's the thing. They get over to the other side of the lake. Follow, follow the story. Don't forget the story in the context. They get to the other side of the lake. They start ministering there. The day draws late. The disciples say, you need to do something. I just want you to catch that time is passing. And then it says, when evening had come, now it's like dusk, it's sundown. Jesus sends them out, and now it's the middle of the night, and they're in the middle of the lake. And they're in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night, straining at the oars because they obeyed the Lord. And I just thought, middle of the lake, some guys are saying, we should go this way, Some guys are saying we should go that way. Well, if we keep going in the direction he wants us to go, it's really, really hard. And if we go back from where we came, then we're being disobedient. So you're between a rock and a hard place, as they say. And I just think about sometimes how when, sometimes you, as a Christian, you obey the Lord and you find yourself in a difficult situation and it's kind of like darned if you do and darned if you don't. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? There's... Destruction all around me. <laughs> there's no good. There's no good option here. If I do this, they're going to say this. If I do that, they're going to do this. And, it, and there just seems to be no way out. And I just think it's really interesting that they're in the middle of it. And when you're in the middle of it, no option looks better than the other one. And I just think it's very interesting that being obedient to the Lord, reluctantly being obedient to the Lord, brought them great physical and emotional despair. Jesus is protecting them. What's he saving them from? Themselves. What else? We can do a little, we can do response time here. What's he say? Why did he send them over there? He's protecting them from who? From the crowd. He's protecting them from thinking the wrong thing about him. I don't want you to get caught up with a crowd mentality. I want you to think about me correctly. I don't want you to be uh, dissuaded and persuaded uh, by the crowd about who I am. I need you to go. It's for your own protection. Now get out of here. 
but, 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 no, get in the boat and get out of here. And hours later, hours later, probably six hours later, they are in the middle of a mess. And, 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 and they don't want to disobey, but there's no good options. It's just very, very interesting to me. But he sends them out there to protect them. Also, another point to consider, guys, they knew they were, they were seasoned fishermen. They, they had seen these storms before. They, they knew it's like we're in trouble. There's people here at the church and people that I'm friends with that are medical professionals. And, um, you, know, uh, you know how it is if you say, well, I have this ache and this pain and this is going on in my body. And your friends go, oh, maybe it's the flu or this or that. And then the medical professional comes and they go, you've got, you got to look up here if you're not. This is the... They know too much. <laughs> the medical professional goes, oh, that could be... XYZ disease or the LMNOP disease. Oh, that could be really, really bad because they've been around the LMNOP disease before, right? And they've seen XYZ. Started out as a little red rash and it turned out to be a very nice memorial service. And the medical professionals, they know too much. Or a teacher in a classroom. You know, the classroom is good and then a new kid comes to class and they look at the kid and they go, oh, this is going to end badly. (laughs) Because they know too much. They've seen that kind of kid before. It's like Sid from Toy Story. You've seen that? It's like, oh, I've, I've seen Sid before. Oh, you're Sid Jr. Oh, man, you know. Or, or uh, you know, a mom. She sees the kids uh, like, oh, this is going to blow up. And he's, I know how bad this can get. You see the worst case scenario. Or a pastor. Like, oh, I've seen these kinds of things in church before. I know how bad this can get. My point is just saying this. They obeyed the Lord. They're seasoned fishermen. They're in the middle of a mess. There's no way out. There's no good option. And they know how bad it can get. And why am I saying all of that? Because for you, as you obey the Lord, sometimes you'll find yourself in the middle of a mess. and And it's a familiar mess. And you know how bad it can get. You've seen this happen before or you've been through it before. You know how bad it can get. You know how this person and that person could affect the family dinner at Thanksgiving or whatever the case may be. You know how bad it can get. And these guys knew how bad it could get. Verse 47, when evening came, the boat was in the middle. He was alone on the land. They're physically separated from him. Then he saw them straining at rowing and the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and he would have passed them by. It's really interesting to me that verse 48 says Jesus saw them, but he didn't rush to save them. Did he love them, yes or no? Does he always do what's right, yes or no? At that moment, were they happy about it? No, they weren't happy about it. He's watching them. He may have been still up on the mountain a little bit. Maybe he could look down. It's fourth watch of the night is between three and six in the morning, so the sun is starting to come up so he can see them. And Jesus knows what's going on. He's been around the Sea of Galilee too, but he doesn't rush out to save them. He lets them keep working at it. He can't, lets them keep straining. Interesting little definition, guys. Straining at rowing, it literally means there in verse 48, it means to question by torture. <laughs> Have a happy Sunday. It means to torture. It means to tor- torment, to vex, to harass. It's kind of a disgusting thought, but you guys, you guys know what waterboarding is? Anyway, if you don't, ask some sinister person to explain it to you. It's a vicious way to interrogate a criminal for terrorists or something like that. 
They are emotionally getting waterboarded. They are physically getting waterboarded. It's terrible. And they know how bad it can get. And they're there because they obeyed the Lord. And they're there because Jesus was protecting them from something worse. Guys, there's always this backstory going on about what the Lord wants in our lives. But it's bad for them. They're tired. They're, they're a mess. Verse 48, Then he saw them straining at rowing. The wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. After he watches them for a while, he comes in a most unexpected way, walking on the water. They probably weren't expecting him to come walking on the water. I also noticed that they hadn't prayed. They weren't expecting Jesus to show up, but he shows up. Is there a lesson there for us, yes or no? Yeah. He shows up. And he shows up in an unexpected way. He knew that they needed him. You're obeying somebody. I mean, you're obeying the Lord. And you're an employer and you have to dismiss somebody. But this person that you dismiss is friends with all your friends and family members and now nobody's responding to your text messages anymore and all of this kind of thing. And this whole thing is kind of caving in on you. And it's just, you know, and you're thinking... Why is this happening? I obeyed the Lord. I thought I needed to let this person go for their own good. They need to learn some things. They need to change their life, so on and so forth. And suddenly everything's coming in on you and you're like, how's this, how's this mess going to work out? And then uh, your grandma calls you. You haven't talked to grandma for six months. And you're like, I'm a little busy right now, grandma, but you know, uh, I'm okay, I'm okay. And she says, honey, I was just praying for you. Are you Okay. And Jesus comes to you in a way that you didn't expect. Jesus comes to us in ways we don't expect, doesn't he? A phone call, a visit, a sermon, a text message, a radio broadcast, a TV thing, a little kid reminding you, you know, reciting the verse that they learned in Sunday school. Jesus comes walking on the water and they didn't expect it and Jesus comes to us in ways that we don't expect. Something that's even more interesting to me. Verse 48, he said, it would have passed them by. You guys with me? Yes or no? Good. Because I don't want to have to repeat all this. He would have passed them by. Look at your notes. This is also translated. It seems like, in, in the English, it seems like he would have just walked by them and just kind of blew them off. And sometimes that phrase means that in the Greek language. But other times in the Greek language, it also means this. He would have come forth, he would have come near, he would have come alongside, he he would have approached them. It's not the idea that he would have walked by them and ignored them, but he was walking up to them to reveal himself to, to them. In Luke 12, 37, the same phrase, guys. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he, the master will gird himself, have them sit down to eat, and will come and serve them. He will come. That's the same phrase that is translated here, passed by. What determines the context? I mean, what determines the meaning? The context. So Jesus here is showing up to reveal himself. He's walking up to them to reveal himself, and they're not expecting him. And they're in a mess because they obeyed him. It gets better. Verse 49, when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and were were troubled. They knew it was impossible for a man to walk on water. Their natural response was to think that Jesus was a ghost. Now check this out. I love this part. I just love this part. They saw the rescue coming. 
They needed, they needed to be rescued and they saw it coming, but they thought the rescue was actually making things worse. Anybody, anybody have a, like a sanctified grin over that? I think that's amazing. Jesus was showing up in a way they didn't expect. Jesus shows up and they think him, him coming is actually making the situation worse when it's actually making the situation better. I thought about this. You're struggling with something. Um, you have this friendship that you're struggling with somebody and, you feel, and they've said some things and they've hurt you and you've said some things and hurt them and, and so on and so forth. And then you get a call from another trusted friend, that older, mature Christian friend, and they want to talk to you. And you're hurting and they're hurting and you've reacted and they've reacted. Instead of responding, you've reacted and they've reacted. And there's this tension between you and another person. And then suddenly you get this phone call from this person who's kind of a counselor in your life and they say, hey, can we have coffee? And you're thinking, oh, great. That person went and told my little counselor friend, oh, now I'm going to hear about it. You guys are laughing. I'm glad when you laugh like that because you totally get it, don't you? It's like, oh, great. I have to go. I've got to go have coffee and hear about what a terrible person I am. No, Jesus is coming. You're thinking, I might as well get a triple shot. I don't know. Just drown my sorrows in caffeine. This is going to be awful. I'm going to hate this conversation. And the person comes and they minister you like crazy and you walk out like, and you're just like, that was great. I had no idea that I was going to feel better. Jesus came in a way I didn't expect and I saw, I saw him coming through my friend. But I thought it was, was going to be worse. But it was better. And all I'm saying is, guys, sometimes Jesus comes to us in ways that we don't expect. A person or, a, you know, all, all the different ways. And then, we, and, then, and then we get the phone call or whatever and we think it's going to be worse. But we follow through anyway, and Jesus makes it better. What if you hadn't taken the phone call and gone out to have coffee? You would have just stayed home, pulled the blinds, turned off the phone, and just continue pining away over this broken relationship. But instead, Jesus confronted you about something and made it better. Look at verse 50. Oh, take it back applications on this. Don't want to miss this. Here's, I just thought about some things that happen to our lives. We, interp- we get laid off from work and what's your reaction? Financial ruin. But Jesus is coming to you and he's like, no, I'm freeing you up from that job so you can have a better job. Anybody ever go through that? I have. When, when we first started the church, I was doing landscaping and... Uh, I got fired from my job and then I got another one the same week and I got fired twice in one week. <laughs> wasn't my fault. And uh, I even tried to go back to one of the jobs and Debbie was like, don't go back to that job. They treated you hurt terribly. I said, but I need to work. I'll find another job. And then I got fired. From, I, didn't, I didn't deserve either. Well, I maybe deserved the first one, but not the second one. But what happened after that? I got to be full-time in the ministry. The Lord was freeing me even through my kind of mistake-ish kind of thing. Another thing that happens, we interpret a coming conversation as painful and sorrow, sorrowful. God is bringing healing. I mentioned that. We interpret family trouble as ruin. Something happened to our child. Something happened to dad. There's something going on. He doesn't, he's not himself. But God is pruning us and bringing people to him through us. 
We always want to keep the, the boat steady, you know? No rocking the boat kind of thing. Sometimes when we obey the Lord, he'll throw us right in the middle of the lake. Straining, being waterboarded by the situation <laughs> and forgetting to pray. And then Jesus shows up in a way that we never expected. And, he's done, and he does this great work. Let's finish this thing. If you have any questions, you can text them in. I'll try to answer them. Cracks me up. I love these guys. I love the Bible. It's just so relevant, isn't it? They saw him walking on the sea and they thought it was a ghost. <laughs> Here comes Jesus. It's going to get worse. <laughs> For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said, it, and said to them, be of good cheer. Well, why should I be happy? Because it's me. Not be of good cheer because I'm going to calm the storm or not be of good cheer because I'm going to uh, miraculously heal your tired muscles. or you know None of that. He just said, just be of good cheer because I'm here. And when he's here, everything is okay. Everything is okay when he's here. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went, went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Verse 51, Jesus arrives, get into, gets into the boat and it's over. Just like that, it's just over. Guys, you know, we, we sometimes in, in Christian circles we pray for a breakthrough, you know, and pastors kind of run up and down the stage and today is your day of deliverance, today is your day of, and you know, and that kind of stuff. And if those guys want to do that, I, my, I have bad knees, I can't do that. But if they want to do that, it's, and God does want to bring deliverance. But you know what? He might bring deliverance by that phone call to go out to coffee to have that person confront you about something that you don't want to hear about. But, but then you're broken, then, you're, then you break free. Or that, or that financial ruin and you're sitting at home and, and then you finally realize, I need to pray. And then you start developing a prayer life and God just brings this whole new thing of, of, of living into your life, into your family. Jesus shows up and it's over. Just like that. Did they, let me ask you guys something and the answer is no. Did, did they ever think that this thing was going to end? No. They've been straining for hours. They're exhausted. They're waterboarded in body and spirit. They don't think it's going to end. And then he shows up and they think it's going to be worse. And then he just gets into the boat and then it's just done. Any amens? Have you ever had a, some, the Lord just break through something and it's just over? Amen or not? Amen. It's, it's just amazing when he does that. And we don't expect it. But he does that. We have to have eyes to be seeing that kind of thing. One other thing, there's a quote here from Matthew chapter 14 parallel passage when they got and when they got into the boat the wind ceased then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying truly you are the son of god if i asked you guys this question how many of you want to be have a greater vision and revelation of who jesus is hopefully all of you would say yeah i want to know the lord more i want to be amazed by him I want to be blown away by Jesus. I want to be excited by Jesus. My Christian life is so mundane and it's so predictable and it's so just regular and there's nothing exciting about it and there's nothing real about it and it's just, just going along. And I feel like I'm always in the middle of the boat. You know? Maybe he's coming to you and you're, and you're not letting him in the boat. 
You think it's bad news. You think that phone call that's going to come is bad news or that confrontation or that whatever it is. You think it's bad news and you're not letting him in the boat. But guys, when you let him in the boat, if you will, allegorically speaking, everything just starts to change and you're blown away by the Lord. You're amazed. In fact, verse 51 there, the literal translation is they were out of their minds. They couldn't believe how powerful and how good he was. And they had just seen the miracle of feeding the 5,000. You know what's interesting to me? Also, I didn't think of it till right now. Information is always doing this. It's just coming in and just... <laughs> the miracle of the 5,000, who was primarily that for? Other people. So you can see God working in other people's lives, but then when he works in your life, whoo, that's when it rocks, right? That's when it's amazing. Guys, maybe, maybe this is the word for us today. You obey the Lord and it, and it seems to get worse. And then you're in the middle of it and see no way out. He, he's going to come to you. But you need to let him in. You need to let him in the boat. You need, to let, you need to let him do that thing that you're afraid of letting him do. You need to have that conversation. Maybe you need to confess that sin. Or maybe you need to make, you know, let some friends go or whatever the case is. You need to let him in and then watch him change things and watch how amazed you are. And then finally, verse 52, they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hard. The reason that they were so surprised is because that they were spiritually dull. You're spiritually dull about things that had been going on. They had been misinterpreting Jesus. They had been misanalyzing Jesus. And then when he did this amazing thing for them, they were blown away.